Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. There's a clue in this, isn't there? There's a little clue. Why are we listening to I'm a Celebrity theme tune? Because it's I'm a Celebrity in South Africa and one of the contestants is Janice Dickinson and her scene where she's puking up lamb's testicles. Do I want to see that? No, but I want you to see Janice. Oh, boy. I can't do it. You can't do it. Can't oh, my God. What's she eating? I don't know. It sounded disgusting, but it was blurred. My God, she's just shoved it in. Oh, my God. No, no, no. When I was growing up, so from the 70s to the early 80s, my favourite Vogue cover star was Janice Dickinson. Was it? Yeah. She was my favourite of all the supermodels. So beautiful. Even then, she had so much personality. Yeah. And I was just in love with Janice Dickinson because there was somebody with dark brown eyes, dark hair, dark skin, and I just remember her Vogue covers more than I remember my own face because I just looked at them for hours and hours and hours and hours. Very outspoken, no one could boss her around, very beautiful, amazing body. And a lot of people are sort of ridiculing her and I'm a celebrity because she dared to grow older. But I just, I mean, I met her once. It was during London Fashion Week a few years ago. And I'm not sure what show it was. It might have been a Burberry show or something. And she was the other side of the catwalk. And I just said to her, I have loved you since I was 11 years old, yeah. do you know what I mean? And she was just so thrilled that I said that to her. And she's actually a much healthier role model for people that are interested in fashion and are interested in in being a model. She's not saying, is she, be fake or... She's not talking about that. She's actually saying, be yourself, get an education, don't rely yeah. on being a model. But she's she wasn't grounded. just like a model who just marries a rich man or goes yeah. out with Leonardo DiCaprio because she's much more difficult than that. Yeah. Well, she's obviously intelligent. Very intelligent. And I absolutely love her and respect her. And I just think she's amazing. Plus, she went out with Liam Neeson. Did she? Yes. And she says he's got the biggest penis of any man she slept with. No. Yes. Liam Nelson. Liam Nelson. Really? I should look at him in a new light now. But I think if Janice Dickinson hadn't existed, do tag her in on this podcast. I will. Because I'm such a fan. I wouldn't have a 
got anorexia, B, wanted to work in magazines and fashion and edited a magazine, my life would have taken a completely different route. And do you ever wish, because it's not been an easy journey for you, is it? Because you have had the eating disorders, you have spent your life trying to live up to this sort of impossible dream of, of how to look and the money that's spent on clothes. Do you ever wish, actually... I, I, I hadn't gone down that line, that I'd, I'd gone a different route? Well, I think the only route I would have gone down would be to work with horses. But I think that would have been too heartbreaking because you wouldn't have had control over the horses. Yeah. And I remember I did once have an interview with a dressage rider in Paris and he was so horrible I didn't take up the job. Um, because I could never be mean to a horse. I don't no. want to put them in a lorry. I don't want them to travel. I don't want them to have a bit in their mouth. I don't want to sit on them. Um, so I think my two loves have been horses and Janice Dickinson. But I would love to interview Janice when she comes out of South well, Africa. That, that's something to put in for then, isn't it? We're just like twins. Yeah, well, absolutely. I can I can see that. We are really like twins. I I love the fact she had really small eyes because I really wanted small eyes. I've always been attracted to men with small eyes as well. Have you? Yeah, piggy. Piggy. That doesn't make it sound like it's an attractive trait. No, I don't don't like big eyes. Right. I I don't know why. But I was very excited by the new issue of British Vogue, which is the May issue from Edward Enninfall. And he gives you several different covers... But it's all people who are disabled. And the most beautiful cover, I think, was the one with the Down syndrome model. And she just looks so beautiful. And it made me really... Because, you know, I'm very competitive. You are. Not in egg and spoon race and stuff, but in work. You are indeed. Like, someone else gets another story instead of me. I'm, like, spitting tacks, aren't I? I think in the last podcast... All the people that you deafened, because when I listened to it back and I had my earphones in and you were thumping the desk. I frightened screaming, Teddy. You frightened Teddy and actually you blew an eardrum. You blew one of my eardrums. Well, I do. I mean, I was very critical of Edward at first when he took over Vogue. But I do think he's done some amazing covers. And I think this one with a Down syndrome woman on the front is just beautiful. And I'm sort of spitting tax really because I did start this probably when Edward Enninfall was a fetus. So when I was at the Sunday Times, I chased the model Amy Mullins, who doesn't have any legs. And she was on these beautiful carved legs on the McQueen catwalk. And I actually chased her to get her on the cover. Then I went to Marie Claire and I featured Daphne, who was then in her 70s doing a yoga shoot. So I was quite ahead of my time, really. And if I was editing a magazine now, I would do so many adventurous things. Yeah, and actually, it really, it shouldn't be considered adventurous, should it? It should be just we have representatives of our society on magazine covers. All different people, you know, whatever, gender, colour, disability, whatever. We should have everybody represented because people want to see themselves represented in the media, don't they? And Janice. And Janice. But tell us about the book you've been reading, Nicola. 
Well, I've got um, a preview copy. Not out yet. It's out in a couple of weeks. Did you get it in your own name? On my own name, yes. I've got my own name now for the podcast. I, I used to prostitute you for anything I wanted. And now now I now I judge what it is and whether I need to prostitute you or whether I can just go with my own name. So it was me this time. And it's called Will You Read This, Please? by Joanna Cannon. I've heard of her. Yeah, she's on Twitter a lot. I love Joanna because, in fact, I've, you have heard of her because I've reviewed a previous book of oh, hers. Oh, God. Go on, so, Oh, God. But I, I, I love her because she loves her dog. She's got a dog and she absolutely loves her dog and all over Twitter's pictures of her dog. So that's the first reason too. But what she's done is she used to be a doctor. She used to be a psychiatrist and she has put together a book which is a collection of, of people. I don't, people. can I just say, I don't understand all these doctors, ER doctors, nurses, emergency workers becoming authors. Wouldn't they be more useful being doctors that we train them to be? Yeah, I mean, certainly they would. But I mean, I suppose different things bring them to different areas. You don't And also, wanna... if you're a doctor, you're too busy to write a book. I think when you look at, like, for instance, Adam Kay's been very public yeah, but he'd be about better his as journey. A doctor, wouldn't he? But he's been very public about his journey and why he couldn't stay working as a doctor and the pressures of the NHS. Yeah, but I'm and sure stuff. taxpayers trained him. <laughs> anyway, leave Adam Kay alone. I love Adam Kay. Leave him alone. Back off of Adam. So Joanna has put together a collection of people's experiences with mental health. So all just ordinary people. Oh, and what gosh. she's done is she's paired each person. No, it's it's absolutely fascinating. She's paired each person with a writer. Is Harry in it? Harry's not in it. So she's paired each person with a writer who's who's worked with this person to write a, a quite a short like chapter on their experience, and. Why is it called Will You Read This, Please? Because it's about humanity. It's about understanding people's intimate experiences of mental health. And I love it. I love the fact that each person has their own voice through their own writer. So it's not one person writing a book about their experience or collating other people's experience. Each chapter, each experience has a very individual voice. So there's, there's stuff in there... and. I found when I was reading this, I was really touched with it because each experience was so intimate, so candid, so so open about what they'd gone through. And and it, there were things in there that I have got no experience with or understand. I mean, obviously, I think, oh, my God, that must be awful to, for instance, have postnatal depression. I've never had it. I've, I've not even had a baby. So it is completely, really, realistically beyond my, my understanding and to read this this woman's story, I was almost in tears. What she went through, and and to to how difficult it was, and and how extreme it was. I mean, I I think about postnatal depression, maybe baby blues. I mean, she was having hallucinations. She wasn't treated very well. The emphasis was all on the baby and not on her health. And there was other things I wasn't so familiar with, um, like harm. OCD, the feeling that you're going to really hurt someone, the fear, to the point where one woman dumped all the knives out of her kitchen in the lake, and it was it's things that you wouldn't, you probably never will experience. Um, and what really upset me was the story of a guy that has been through aversion therapy. It was in the seventies. He admitted that he was in love with a, with with another boy, 
And on the NHS, he was sent for aversion therapy. And the details of that, that he went through that just because he found other men attractive. They don't do that anymore. They do don't they? do that. And But actually, I, I think this idea of curing you of being gay, it, I don't think it, it went away until relatively recently. I mean, this was in the 70s. It's horrific. And what he says was... Dogs are his coping mechanism. He's a dry stone waller. So it's all stuff that I can relate to. Because Is it Martin? Dogs. It's not Martin. Martin was a mere blinking in, in the universe, wasn't he, until 1994. <gasps> um, Martin was born in the 90s. He was. I was already a success then. Oh, <laughs> no, he's only a baby. And it's kind of like he copes with his dogs and he copes with building walls. And I understand that because... Doing stone, it's like a meditation. You put one stone in front of the other, one stone in front, and you got. And I just thought, wow, to have gone through that, to have been vilified just because of who you love to that extent in the seventies. I mean, that seems so recent to me that that level of intrusion and that abuse would happen on the NHS. So it's a really good book, and it it really connects you to humanity. Do you know what I mean? Experiences that you probably never have that you've probably never even necessarily given a lot of thought to. And it's heartbreaking. It's really, really heartbreaking. And I think we'd all be better for reading something like this. <laughs> this doesn't seem keen, but I enjoyed it and I recommend it. And I also have got a little moan this week. AI. I am sick of AI and chat app and all this modern rubbish. I hate it. You know I love technology, don't you? I love I love the new I'm I'm out gagging for the latest iPhone and that and I, I appreciate that AI, artificial intelligence, has got a place. It's got a you know a place in business, it's got a place in looking at data, in in, in all sorts of areas, science. But I'm finding more and more that when you're looking at things either adverts or presentations on YouTube and all different projects, artwork it's now produced by AI. And I am sick to death of hearing these computerized soulless voices talking to me when just use a human. Just let a human speak. But even if you're on an estate agent's website, so Savills, you're looking at a property and do you want to live chat about it? You know you're not chatting to a person because no. I say to them, Are you a person? Yeah. That that probably is 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 the thing that drives me insane. And you ask them a really simple question, they can't answer it. No, no, because unless it's programmed in, they can't work with it. And I just want to communicate with people that will understand what I'm saying and respond to me, and not go around the same bloody thing twenty times to try and find a way of getting to the right department. I don't want to do it. And when we look at artwork you know i was looking at a project that was talking about you know artwork and it was it was really interesting it was like you you tell this app that you want to create a poster of a girl standing in the city street with blonde hair holding a mushroom whatever and it will do that and then you can say add you can add in at sunset or at twilight and it's all and, and the results are like obviously quite impressive but where's the soul that art comes from? Where, when you produce art, you squeeze it out of you? Like when you write, 
you're producing that out of you, out of your life experience, out of your emotions. Everything, it comes out of who you are. And so does art, doesn't it? If you're drawing or painting. A big trend now in fashion, because obviously I'm very plugged into fashion, is to wear virtual clothes and you can own the virtual outfit but it doesn't actually exist and do you remember I went to that studio for the man on Sunday to be photographed in a David Bowie costume so I was wearing his costume but it didn't actually exist and I wasn't actually wearing it but I don't see the point of that I can't see the point of it and I think a lot of these things are dangerous I mean when you're looking at how you can alter your appearance so if you're on phone calls or if you're doing photographs and you can alter your appearance and look like a completely different person not only is it potentially damaging with who you're communicating with so you're maybe a young girl trying to look older or you know something along those lines or a man trying to be a woman or whatever but also what about your self-esteem you know you start putting in filters and things and you look amazing and then you take the filters off and there you are plain old you no makeup with your hair scrunched up. What's that going to do to your self-esteem? So I'm actually, for someone that loves technology, I'm starting to feel that it's becoming really, really invasive into our everyday lives. Business, yes. Projects, yes. But it's filtering in. It's creeping in, even into like silly things like someone... Could I be- get a virtual boyfriend? Probably. I wouldn't mind a holographic boyfriend that when you finish with him, you can put him in a cupboard. That'd be all right. All of this reminds me, because you know what a film lover I am. You are. And an expert. I don't just know about chairs. (laughs) And houses. Houses. Don't forget the houses. Plants. (laughs) And the person that had your light in their house on the TV. I've got books on chairs. Oh, dear God. Life's too short. It's way too short. So in 2019 for The Man on Sunday, it was my dream assignment. It wasn't an interview with Morton Harkett, but it was to review the Stanley Kubrick exhibition. Who is it? To be fair, he is a genius. Genius. But he made a work of art in every genre of film. The Shining. Horror. (gasps) Sci-fi. Romance. Historical. Yeah. Who could not? I mean, literally, who could not think those films were amazing? Even the fetus in me. But I actually... It was such a revelation, this exhibition. It was at the Design Museum. Um, So this is April 2019. I'm an insane Stanley Kubrick fan. Barry Lyndon. Oh, my God. Sarabande. Do you want me to sing it? No, 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 no one does. No one does. The Shining. 2001 A Space Odyssey among my favourite films but it's only having seen the new exhibition of his work at the Design Museum 20 years since he died that I understand exactly why I love Stanley Kubrick each of his films has a room devoted to its making and the reason his movies are so good is not luck or nepotism you know I hate Nepo babies you do, you very much do or winging it, or CGI, or AI, or any... No, I They are good because of an inhuman amount of work and obsession with detail. Take a room which is dedicated to the film he never, ever made, Napoleon. It's an analogue Wikipedia. 
endlessly rewritten scripts, a card index with each scene detailed in ink. The shooting schedule is on a spreadsheet. He owned and read every biography ever written about Napoleon. He left nothing to chance. Like Hitchcock, Kubrick storyboarded every single scene. He made models. He made a model of the maze for The Shining. He made a model of the centrifuge aboard 2001's Discovery 1. For a battle scene in Spartacus, a photo was taken of all the hundreds of extras and each one was given a number on the photo so the director could yell, number 224, look more dead. Wow, Spartacus, oh my god. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Oh my god, I love that film. Kubrick hated real locations, preferring to keep near his home in Hertfordshire. He was born in New York, but he moved to England for 40 years of work. He used he felt using locations meant a loss of control, which means I'm shocked to learn that the Overlook Hotel from The Shining was in Elstree. No. Yes. No. Who knew it snowed that much in Elstree? No. No. An exception was when he made Barry Lyndon in 1975. He decamped to Chatsworth, Castle Howard, not far. Love Castle Howard. To recreate the 18th century, filming entirely by candlelight. I knew that he'd used candles, as I not long before this exhibition interviewed Barbara Daly, and she was the Vogue makeup artist whom he hired to recreate that unique Marissa Berenson face. A look copied by every schoolgirl in the land, including me. Very fine, arched eyebrows, blue eyeshadow. What I didn't know until this exhibition was that Stanley Kubrick had the candles specially made with three wigs, with three wicks in each to make them burn brighter. What filmmaker makes his own candles? Uh, and this is exactly what I'm talking about with the AI thing. This is the perfect illustration of creating. He was real, arts. apart from yeah. being in Elstree. Yeah. There is so much fascinating detail in the exhibition. The axe wielded by Jack Nicholson in The Shining had no fewer than 12 stand-ins because Jack Nicholson kept breaking it. Oh, my Lord. I love that. Shelley Duvall's knife is here too and a short video where she recounts what a tyrant Kubrick was to work for. I mean, he literally reduced her to tears. She was crying. She had a breakdown. I bet he was a perfectionist. Oh, oh, I bet he was. There is an eerily prescient tablet. Used to watch the BBC in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Remember, this film was conceived in the 60s, and he had the equivalent of an iPad in his film. I mean, amazing. Yeah. He never won an Oscar for his directing. He got a gold statue for special effects on 2001. And not all his films were well received. There's a newspaper clipping of a review of Lolita with the headline, A Sick, Sick Movie. That was an incredible film. But it's about a paedophile. But it was an incredible film. My favourite relic is in the room chronicling his failed ambition to make Napoleon. There's a handwritten letter to Stanley from Audrey Hepburn, whom he'd been begging and begging and begging to play Josephine. Dear Mr Kubrick, she wrote in 1968, 
I don't want to work for a while, so I cannot commit. <laughs> it's heartening to learn that you can be rejected even when you're a genius. That's so, like, cool and Audrey Hepburn. But he had it? a wall at the side of the exhibition. When he was making 2001 A Space Odyssey, he said to all the scientists, geniuses, engineers, everything, tell me what's going to be in the future and make it. And they did. There's iPads, mobile phones. I mean, wow. in the 60s, they knew all this stuff was coming. It was incredible. That is incredible, isn't it? Because we probably thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a phone we could carry around, but that it would never happen. That's incredible. But he actually had an iPad in the 60s. Yeah. In the film. Yeah. And there's a wall of inventions. It was so interesting. Really interesting. I really love reviewing exhibitions at the V&A and stuff because the people who put them together curators they're sort of the opposite of me like I remember I went to a sportswear show at the V&A and it had a Chanel surfboard and trainers and stuff and I didn't think it was very good but it took the curator about four years to put it together yeah must be so hard to source everything it, that must be... Uh, well, I'm oh, wow. really, really, really looking forward to the V&A exhibition of Chanel this autumn. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like the Dior one. Yeah. I was jealous you went to the um, Munro one and you saw her dress. That was the Hollywood um, exhibition at the yeah, V&A. Yeah, I would have loved to have done that, yeah. Well, the Hollywood exhibition at the V&A was amazing because it was all about how they dressed actresses when it was censorship and you weren't mm. supposed to show any flesh and everything mm. and the Monroe dress was there and also the green dress that Kira Knightley wore in Atonement and Daniel Craig's Bond suit oh you'd sort of want to slide down it would I you? stood oh. next to him oh. his suit for a selfie and he was a lot shorter than me <laughs> <laughs> well that means he's just perfect size for me then he wasn't that tall. It's a perfect size. It fits me. That's that's good to know. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Do you want to hear this week's column? I do. We want more information on the date, don't we? This is the date part two. This is what we left off on. I tried to ignore Ferrari Man, a.k.a. David 2.0, but he kept texting me. Hi, Liz. It was a shame the food wasn't more to your liking. The vegan beetroot pasta was stuck together in a cloying lump and had a weird taste. I should become a food critic. Never mind Parker Bowles, mate. You've got a rich mum. I'm your woman. I'm sure cloying lump and weird taste... It's award-winning, isn't it? It's award-winning. Anyway, David, too, continues, you were entertaining and I wasn't intimidated. (laughs) You were good fun. God. Jesus Christ. Were you trying to be intimidating then? I'm not intimidating. I think you think you are sometimes. Three hours flew by. You didn't tell me David one sent you a gift. In square brackets. Why should I... Also, stop reading my column. Do you know why people use square brackets? No, why do people? Well, it's like an aside. It's like a stage direction. It's different to a round bracket. Is it really? It's See? me talking in oh, amongst no. him. See, I've never used a square bracket, I can honestly say. 
Now, you know what? Talking about AI, you know what tries to correct your grammar? Yes. You can't correct me. No. I was trained for 11 years at the Sunday Times. I have better grammar than anybody in the world. I'm or sure. Computers. I'm sure Word knows that and will be scared to try and correct you. I'm sure Word is sensible and sentient enough to know not if to If it's go an there. incomplete sentence within quote marks, you put the full stop outside the quote mark. Oh. Anyway, in square brackets... <laughs> Why should I tell him I got a gift from David? Stop reading my column. And he continues, sounds as though David one cares for you. Perhaps he doesn't like the thought of a competitor with the same name. I doubt that, square bracket. <laughs> if you're up for another meet, I will look for a more vegan restaurant. There isn't one, square bracket. Unless, of course, I should back off and let Romance with David one run its course. He seems sweet. Just you two, just go out with each other. It's very conciliatory, isn't it? Like, if do, would you rather be with the other man, or would you, what, what would you prefer? I texted my friend Isabel. She had responded to the selfie in the Ferrari with, for real then, how did it go? Food horrendous, didn't fancy him, normal people are boring, whereas I have tales about sitting in Bruce Willis's bath and taking a selfie with Helen Mirren. He didn't make me laugh once. Anyway, my friend Isabel then upset me because she said, Stop it, Liz. I remember being in Ireland and John Hurt was coming up with all these anecdotes about Laurence Olivia and Richard Burton. It was boring shite. I'm not sure anything about Laurence Olivia could be boring shite. I've got to be honest. I was quite hurt with the capital H, actually. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that didn't go down well. I'd have loved to have heard John Hurt's stories. I would have, actually. You see, this is why I was so attracted to Quality Nigel. As he had been a war photographer and we had so much in common, he regaled me in the back of an armoured vehicle about how he woke up to the ghost of an old woman in Rwanda where he had been sent just days before to cover the massacre. The elderly woman had been killed so suddenly and violently she had no idea she was dead. A man telling me he plays badminton four times a week just does not cut it. Well, I can absolutely say... Don't be on anyone else's side. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not. I'm just saying you tried ghosting him and that didn't work because he was persistent. This column may do it. <laughs> this is the final nail <laughs> this, in his Ferrari. This may do it. You've just punctured his tyres. I was in London earlier this week and I almost, almost texted David number one. Oh, dear. He God. must still love me given the Tiffany gift I swiftly exchanged. But don't you find the idea of men, dates, weddings, sex, living with the bastards, so much better than the reality? So aside from work, I spent the two days on my own. I booked a view a flat in Dalston. I really have come full circles. I lived in Hackney for most of my life, briefly moving upwards to Islington before now crashing back down again. No, but to be fair, Hackney now is up, isn't no, it? No, it's not. It's still a shithole. No. No, it is. Yeah. No. I was in a cab on the way to go and see this flat and I got confused between Queensbridge Road and Dawson Lane. It was like that scene between Tom Hanks and his son in Sleepless in Seattle when he talks about his dead mum. I'm beginning to forget her face. I'm beginning to forget London. It's, it's just like it, forgetting London, comparing to your dead mum. It's exactly like, the same. Just, Don't just like it. Just, no, 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 I'm agreeing. It's just like it. <laughs> 
Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. We did have a tweet in response to the column last week. What was the column last week? The column last week was about your date with White Ferrari. In the Ferrari. Yes. And we did have one guy say that, um, don't worry, Liz, he could sort you out. Did you get, have a Ferrari? Get your hat, girl, you've pulled. Did you have a Ferrari? <laughs> I don't think he's got a Ferrari, He did, but I think he thinks he's got what you need. <laughs> so prepare yourself. Would you like to know what our readers are saying this week? Yeah, what did Carrie say? So Carrie said, Just wanted to say I'm reading your book, The Exmoor Files, for the first time and I'm loving it. I didn't realise how much you'd done for your rescue animals. I admit, I used to read your column and wonder how you could complain about debt with such a taste, but now I understand. So she's a big no, fan No, but then now. she says, I'm actually a huge fan. I'm actually a huge fan now, yes. So you've converted her by read, her reading the Exmoor Files. You've converted her. Someone sent me a WhatsApp and a picture of them reading the Exmoor Files in Florida. Did they? Because she was feeling homesick for England and rain and moss. Oh. There's lots of nice pictures in the Exmoor Files, isn't there? No, there aren't any. Really. I thought there was a nice picture of Lizzie in the Exmoor no, Files. No, there's no pictures. Are you sure? Yeah. Not in the hardback. And the Exmoor Files was reviewed by Private Eye. And do you know what the headline was? What was it? Private Eye hate me. Private Eye hate me because they're a bunch of nepotism, Oxbridge-educated men, white men. The headline review of the Exmoor Files was, It's a bit thin, Lizzie. Ooh. Oh, that's a bit mean, isn't it? That's a little bit mean. Oh, well, Carrie loves you. And I got a a message on on Twitter from Diane that had listened to the podcast, and she said, Oh, Nick, I remember the car park in Loughton and the Capri. Oh, my days, you make me remember so much about growing up in Essex. Love you both. See, a Capri in Loughton, that was it. That was your date for the night. How did you ever fit in a Capri? I did fit in a Capri. In fact, I actually went on one date with, with a guy in a Capri and we went and had a chat in the car park, as you did, because there was nowhere really to go. So we went and had a little chat and it started raining and we were getting ready to leave and he said, can you get in the footwell and hold these two wires together? And I thought he was, I thought he was like trying it on. Do you know what I mean? Can you get down in the footwell? I thought that was a bit dodgy. But it actually, his... Is it a stolen vehicle? No, his windscreen wipers didn't work. So I actually had to get in the footwell and fiddle around. <laughs> so his windscreen wipers worked. That was the quality of my dates at 19. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.